from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA, the National Security Podcast. Не исключаем, что наш американский What was his role in Russia's interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election? Uh, Mr. Putin, who has spent his entire professional career as a public servant, is one of the wealthiest individuals in the world, if not the wealthiest individual in the world. Senator Ben Cardin, with some insight into what drives Vladimir Putin. Uh, he's gotten his wealth through corruption. Corruption is how he can fuel his the tools that he has to disrupt democratic states. And why destroying America's institutions is his main target. And why the 2018 midterms are next on his list. He's going to be very engaged because he needs to fuel his system, and that is corruption. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The indictment by the Justice Department on February 16th of 13 Russians, three Russian companies, and wealthy Russian businessman Yevgeny Prigozhin, a close friend of Vladimir Putin's, known as Putin's chef because of that close relationship, is being looked at by some as a shadow indictment of Putin himself. The reason? All of the above-mentioned people and entities were linked to the Internet Research Agency, which is the umbrella for what the indictment called a Russian plot to promote discord in the U.S. and undermine public confidence and democracy. This is how Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein laid it out. The defendants allegedly used that infrastructure to establish hundreds of accounts on social media networks such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, making it appear that those accounts were controlled by persons located in the United States. They used stolen or fictitious American identities, fraudulent bank accounts, and false identification documents. The defendants posed as politically and socially active Americans, advocating for and against particular candidates. They established social media pages and groups to communicate with unwitting Americans. They also purchased political advertisements on social media networks. The Russians also recruited and paid real Americans to engage in political activities, promote political campaigns, and stage political rallies. The defendants and their co-conspirators pretended to be grassroots activists. According to the indictment, the Americans did not know that they were communicating with Russians. After the election, the defendants allegedly staged rallies to support the president-elect while simultaneously staging rallies to protest his election. For example, the defendants organized one rally to support the president-elect and another rally to, impose, uh, to oppose him, both in New York on the same day. On September 13th of 2017, soon after the news media reported 
that the special counsel's office was investigating evidence that Russian operatives had used social media to interfere with the 2016 election. One defendant allegedly wrote, quote, we had a slight crisis here at work. The FBI busted our activity. So I got preoccupied with covering tracks together with my colleagues, end quote. Again, that was Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. U.S. intelligence has already concluded with high confidence the scheme was directed from the highest levels of the Russian government, and that would be Vladimir Putin. So on this program, in order to get the best information we could about what's going on and where it's going, we turn to Maryland Senator Ben Cardin, a senior member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee who's been intimately involved in the probing of Russian interference. Senator, on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, you spent a significant amount of time as a ranking member. You're still on the committee, and you're still, like the rest of us, learning a heck of a lot about what happened in the 2016 election and what Russia's up to now. The thing I'd like to start this conversation with is asking you what you've learned since this whole thing started, and I'll go from there. Well, what we've learned is that what Russia, what Mr. Putin was doing in the United States in 2016 was part of a much broader design by Mr. Putin to use uh, a, a toolkit of, of weapons that are non-conventional uh, to try to compromise democratic institutions throughout the world. His principal targets were Europe, where uh, the Soviet Union had influence before the breakup of the Soviet Union, but also in countries where uh, Mr. Putin thought that he could influence. He used that uh, strategy in the United States in the 2016 elections, um, and he's learned from uh, the different uh, strategies that he's used. So in the United States, we saw the use of cyber attacks and getting information and using that information in a way to influence the public confidence in our election system and to try to influence the vote in favor of Mr. Trump. Uh, he employed many private contractors to do that, and he has a pretty sophisticated network on trying to make fake news or planted news the, the news of the day. So uh, that was the, the strategy that was used in the United States. It was, uh, to a certain degree, successful, because it certainly did undermine the confidence in our election system, um, and it did uh, accomplish a purpose for Mr. Putin. Uh, he then used similar tools in European elections. He used it in uh, planted fake news in German election. Uh, was we believe active in the Brexit uh, in UK. Uh, was active in the French elections. But in uh, in France and in Germany, their leaders took steps recognizing what had happened in the United States to minimize its impact. Senator, one of the key objectives objectives, as I understand it, from some of the intelligence people I've spoken to here in the U.S. and abroad, of this type of campaign is to sow seeds of dissent and chaos, to cause confusion, and um, essentially generate animosity. What we've seen in the last months here on the Hill, uh, to many, has been described as that kind of chaos. What do you, what have you seen, and how do you, how do you do you, do you associate it with what, what this campaign was trying to achieve? 
Well, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Putin will finance operations in countries of particular political factions that he thinks are sympathetic to Russia. He will finance a coup, as he did in Montenegro, if he thinks that's going to be helpful. Uh, he will use his military to invade countries or to cause unrest so that countries such as Georgia or Moldova have a much less likely chance of of being integrated into European institutions. Um, in Ukraine, of course, the, the, the battle that's taken place there has made it very difficult for Ukraine to um, uh, integrate into Europe or to become part of NATO. Uh, so, yes, he will, he will directly finance. He financed campaigns in France uh, with an with a individual who Mr. Putin thought would be friendlier towards Russia and less friendly towards a unified Europe. Um, so they do. He does want to sow seeds of doubt in, in a democratic country, using democratic institutions against itself. So we know this. So why do we still have this issue in your mind still here on the Hill? You know, the not just on the Hill, but all across the country, the animosity that we see online, people essentially at each other's throats over politics and some of the movements that we've seen. Uh, emerge. Why do you suppose that now that we know this, we still have this issue? Well, quite frankly, I think the members of Congress recognize this. They, that's why we passed the strong sanction bill against Russia and uh, took steps to, to deal with their propaganda and cyber attacks. Uh, I think the people in Washington understand the risk factors of what Mr. Putin is doing and the need to take steps to protect our country. The challenge in the United States is we have one person who has not yet come on board, and that's the President of the United States. His whole team has recognized that Russia was involved in the 2018, 2016 elections and is being engaged in the 2018 elections. It's been acknowledged by the director of the CIA, by the Secretary of State, and others. But Mr. Trump himself, when asked about Mr. Putin, says, I believe Mr. Putin that he didn't interfere in our elections, and he has not as Mr. P Mr. Trump is not taking the steps as President of the United States to gather all of his agencies together and say, let's have a strategy to protect America against Mr. Putin's attacks. We don't know how they're going to come, but we do know they'll use cyber. We do know they'll use propaganda. We do know that they'll use social media contacts. Let's take steps to protect ourselves. Our president has not done that. Maryland Senator Ben Cardin, a senior member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And when we come back, will tell us why he thinks President Trump has not more forcefully engaged against Russia. And he'll also tell us... Uh, Mr. Putin, who has spent his entire professional career as a public servant, is one of the wealthiest individuals in the world, if not the wealthiest individual in the world. Uh, he's gotten his wealth through corruption. Corruption is how he can fuel his, the tools that he has to disrupt democratic states. So he's going to be very engaged because he needs to fuel his system, and that is corruption. That's when we come back after this short break on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Ben Cardin, a Maryland senator, 
and senior member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He's been talking to us about Russia's interference in U.S. government, politics, and elections. And before the break, he was telling us that President Trump has really not done much to stop Russia. Now, we rejoin the conversation with a question. How do you think, or what do you think is necessary to get him to take the steps you've talked about? Well, the President of the United States, to protect our national security, needs to do this. Uh, the fact that he has not gives space to those who will accept Mr. Putin's fake news as real and accept uh, that uh, Russia's involvement in our country is, is, not, in being, is, is not being involved. So uh, Mr. Putin gets a free pass, and that's what the challenge is. We need the president to speak out against it, recognizing that this is America's strength is in our democratic institutions. We've got to protect our democratic institutions. So now what you've mentioned this morning has been a pretty well-rounded look at the problem that we've seen that some say, and, and there's pretty significant evidence that this was going on well before 2016, but we just didn't wake up to it until after the election. I know Vladimir Zirinovsky had an all-night party, one of those champagne parties that he's known for in Russia the night of the election here, celebrating, saying, we've finally done it after seven, 70 years of trying. What do you think the Russians are doing now as we are headed into another uh, election cycle, midterms, do, do, are they going to use the same tactics? Do you think that uh, we're any better prepared to deal with it? Well, you're correct. They, 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 it started well before the 2016 campaign. Mr. Putin's uh, objectives to bring down democratic institutions uh, has been there since he took power in Russia. His objective is to bring down democratic institutions. And the reason, quite frankly, is that uh, Mr. Putin, who has spent his entire professional career as a public servant, is one of the wealthiest individuals in the world, if not the wealthiest individual in the world. Uh, he's gotten his wealth through corruption. Corruption is how he can fuel his, the tools that he has to disrupt democratic states. So he's going to be very engaged because he needs to fuel his system, and that is corruption. And therefore, he will be actively engaged in our election system to tell the Russian people that all countries have problems, look what's going on in America, and he'll plant either fake news or sensitive news and make it look more than it really is in an effort to discredit our system of government uh, for his own popular support in Russia so he can continue his corrupt regime or to be able to penetrate uh, further in the United States uh, to compromise our system. Two weeks ago, one of Russia's most popular talk show hosts, after memos, after the memo, the Hipsy memo from uh, author, architected, I think, by Mr. by Rep. Representative Nunes, finally made it to the White House. One of Russia's most famous talk show hosts went on the radio and said, "Hey, you you won't believe this." They're, the Secret Services in the U.S. are trying to undermine and overthrow the president of the U.S. Now, we know that that's not true, but we know that other people are listening to this, right. and we know that some of those people may be people that may be thinking about helping the U.S., but they hear that, and some say they won't do that. How do you believe that this 
situation that we're in, our, our own political system, with the, the political gunfight we've got going on now, is impacting the U.S.'s national security stability around the world and dealing with partners and developing others? Well, America, I think, has been weakened globally uh, for many reasons, some of which has been Mr. Putin's attacks, uh, giving more strength to his propaganda and He's been more effective in, 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 in these messaging. So we've seen the strength of the transatlantic partnership not as strong as it used to be. That adds to the strength of Russia. We've seen countries that w should have integrated into Europe at a much faster pace. Take Serbia, where Russia has been extremely active. Uh, that has uh, delayed and put off track their integration into Europe. That all gives space for Russia's influence. We see Russia's influence in Syria at a much higher level than is helpful for U.S. national security interests and U.S. influence globally. So we have to acknowledge that Mr. Putin, uh, his economy, I think, is 12th or 13th in the world. Uh, Italy has a larger economy than Russia. Canada has a larger economy than Russia. But we all talk about Russia. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Putin has been successful in elevating the importance of Russia globally. Their values are not our values. Mr. Putin's values are not our values. So America's influence has been challenged at a, uh, where we could have had greater influence around the world. Last thing, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is important as it relates to this? Well, uh, what, what, I think the key point here is that we're seeing a growth of nationalism. We, we see that in, in countries such as Poland and Hungary. We obviously see that in, in Russia. But we see it also in our own country. Uh, that there has been given space for those who look inward to their country rather than looking at embracing diversity, embracing rights for all of its citizens, and tolerance. Uh, we, and I think that's the most dangerous attack that we've seen. America's strength are our values, and those values have been challenged of late. And Mr. Putin's been successful in seeding more and more nationalist sentiment around the world uh, which, quite frankly, we haven't seen since World War II. So I, I, I don't want to hit an alarm button at too high of a level, but I do believe Mr. Putin uh, poses a great threat against our way of life and, what, and, and our democratic systems of government. We're an open society. He's been able to use our open society against ourselves. And we, we want to preserve our right of freedom. We, we said that after the attack of 9-11, we don't want the terrorists to win. We don't want to close our society. We want to have an open society. Well, we want to have an open society. We want people to be able to express their views. We want people to be able to get their views out there. But we have to recognize that when you use cyber in the way that Mr. Putin has and use social media in the way that he has, that we have to defend our democratic institutions and we have to be more aggressive in defending our democratic institutions. Senator, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Maryland, Senator Ben Cardin a senior member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. We talked in this program about Vladimir Putin's wealth. In the coming weeks, we'll take a closer look, and what we find might surprise you. But coming up on our next episode, 25 years after the first World Trade Center bombing, well, uh, first off, it wasn't surprising to me that uh, we had uh, this uh, tremendous act of terror on U.S. soil, uh, specifically in New York City. Uh, I think, uh, you know, when I first started in the early 80s, uh, you could almost see the tempo and the pace of these attacks uh, 
uh, around the globe. Fred Burton, the State Department counterterrorism agent that led the team that caught the man who did it. Oh my goodness, that was uh, you know one of those uh, days that uh, I vividly recall. And I was on the phone with our agents uh, in Islamabad, and and I could hear the radio uh, chatter uh, on the phone line. Uh, we got him. We got him. We got him. Since that time, there have been scores of terror attacks, none greater in the U.S. than the second World Trade Center attack. And all of this has focused more attention on what we now know as soft targets in the U.S. I, I think we have too many soft targets. And on our next program, we'll hear what the FBI, DHS, and other security officials around the world are doing to deal with soft targets in the modern era. Coming up on our next episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Please, subscribe to our podcast, and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger. I used to host the Art of Charm podcast, but now it's time for something new. The Jordan Harbinger Show. Did you know you can be entertained and actually get a boost in your life at the same time? On this show, we dig into the superpowers of the world's most interesting thinkers and top talents. Then we deliver them to you right into your ears. But I get it. We're not all superheroes. That's why we give you their blueprint so you can live what you listen. After a thousand interviews, learning five languages, and getting arrested in a country that doesn't even exist anymore, I'm now more ready than ever to introduce you to The Jordan Harbinger Show. Listen free to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the Podcast One app. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.